Well, welcome to the last part of the symposium. Uh, we're uh, very pleased today uh, to have Professor Julie Earp of North Carolina State University uh, here to talk to us. Uh, Julie is an associate professor in the College of Management at uh, NCSU. And uh, I've known Julie for uh, about five years now. Uh, we met at a conference and then uh, proceeded to try to break into the Washington Monument, as I recall, was the uh, expedition. Uh, it was unsuccessful. They, they managed to repel the invasion. But um, nonetheless, we had a very pleasant walk and uh, conversation. Uh, and uh, then, as I recall, uh, did some damage to uh, several pitchers of beer. Uh, and along the way, discovered that we had a number of interests in the area of uh, privacy, of designing systems for uh, user needs. And during that time, we've had uh, continuing uh, collaboration uh, now, and, now and then, um, working together currently on uh, a couple uh, projects uh, that several of us as a group are all involved with uh, through the Privacy Place, where she is one of the principals at North Carolina State University. Uh, and her research has focused on a number of issues having to do with really validating what users want, what needs to be in systems, uh, user attitudes towards privacy, uh, security, and, and similar issues. Uh, she's involved in the privacy place. She's involved in teaching, the e-commerce studio, a number of activities, and uh, is also the sole proprietress of Julie's House of Hacks, uh, which she'll have to explain to you if she chooses. Uh, with that as an introduction, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Professor Julie Earp. Thanks to all of y'all for uh, coming to the last session of the uh, symposium. And I must say that I've enjoyed meeting um, those of y'all that I've had a chance to meet and talking with those of y'all I've had a chance to talk with. And um, this is a follow-up uh, somewhat to uh, the panel that we um, had this morning on forging trust. I did talk a little bit about um, some ideas that are a prelude to this. But what I'm going to talk about today is privacy policies and web-based healthcare. So first, let me give you a quick outline. I'm going to talk a little bit about the current state of privacy and how it relates to trust, and specifically privacy policies, since this particular project I'm going to talk about revolves around privacy policies. Then I'll talk about some of the challenges that we're facing and our ideas for improving um, the status of things, and then our actual experiment that we've done. Now keep in mind, this is a very, very, very recent um, experiment, and so these are very preliminary results. We haven't published these yet, so y'all get a uh, sneak peek of what's to come. Okay, everyone knows that what we do today always involves information exchange, whether you're talking about things in the financial industry, things in the healthcare industry, whether you're talking about government or retail, Online, offline, there's always information exchange. And we also know from numerous surveys, both academic surveys and public opinion polls, that consumers are very concerned about the amount of information that's being collected about them. They're also very concerned about what happens to that information. Um, there's been numerous surveys that show this. But at the same time, people still continue to give up their information in exchange for certain services and products. 
we still have a few people that are a little weary about online activities. And these people are very unsure about what happens to their information, and therefore they just steer clear of all that. So in order to make these customers and others as well comfortable with the way things are going, we need to make sure that we safeguard their privacy, and we also need to make sure that they understand that we're safeguarding their privacy. So how does privacy relate to trust? And this is from the panel that we had this morning. It's been proven in many different management areas that privacy is a proven driver of online trust. There's other drivers as well, but privacy is one of them. If a consumer thinks that a company or a website is going to protect their privacy, they'll be more inclined to trust that particular website, and therefore they'll be more inclined to transact with that particular website. So how do consumers learn about the privacy practices of websites and organizations? Right now, the easiest way is based on privacy policies. There's a lot of research going into privacy policies these days. There's a lot of research from the standpoint of having machine-readable privacy policies and different ways to do privacy policies. And we've done several studies that revolve around privacy policies. Now, I assume based on the audience that we have here, everyone's familiar with what these are. And basically, when you go to a website, there's the link there that says Privacy Policy. And you click on that, and it gives an overview of the privacy practices of that particular company. Some of our earlier research in the way of privacy policies compared what people think and what's important to people with regard to privacy with what is stated in privacy policies. And what we found out is that the things that companies put in their privacy policy is really of no interest to consumers. And this leads to several problems that we have nowadays. Because although we have a lot of privacy policies on websites and at different companies that are supposed to portray the privacy management practices of those companies, even though those privacy policies are there, not that many people read them. So the project that I'm going to talk about today is going to hopefully determine ways that we can help people to read these policies. As it stands now, privacy policies are the only way that people have to learn about the privacy practices of a company. And we have several um, legislation, both federal legislation and state legislation, that mandates privacy policies being available on websites. Specifically, ones that I'm sure most of y'all have heard of deal with the financial industry, with the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, and in the healthcare industry, with HIPAA. So in the financial industry and the healthcare industry, all of those companies are required to have privacy policies available. So we focused a lot of our research in the areas of finance and healthcare for these reasons. So we have all these privacy policies out there, but can people read them? That's one of the big questions. So one of our studies has shown that most of these policies are not very readable. So if you look up here, you'll see a bunch of numbers. Um, under the healthcare industry, you'll see that we did some analysis and found out that in order to understand the majority of the privacy documents 
on healthcare websites, you needed to have at least two years of college education. We did this using the Fleisch readability scores, which is a common way to um, gauge readability of, of documents. We also found out that with the financial industry, in order to understand the privacy policies of those websites, a person needs to have at least two years of college. And this is not good when you look at the general internet population, because the general internet population, only 52% of the general population has that much education. And when you look at internet users, particularly the ones over age 25, they only have two years of college education. So there's a lot of people that are below the average, but then there's a lot of people above the average. But of course, those people below the average are the ones that are getting left out. If they even tried to read the privacy policies, they wouldn't be able to understand it. If they tried to understand it, it would be too time consuming and too much of a burden. So therefore, what happens is the people don't read the privacy policies. And we found this out on numerous occasions. Although people will tell us in different types of surveys, they will tell us that they do read privacy policies, we know that they really don't. When we look at log files from different websites, we see that people don't read those. So in order to address this problem, our latest experiment has been an experiment online where we have tried to gauge the comprehension of different types of privacy policies and the perception that people have toward different types of privacy policies. And when I say different types of privacy policies, what we've done is, since these privacy policies are required to be there by law, people are putting resources into developing them, they're putting effort into developing them. Since it has to be done, we think that it should be done in such a way that people, consumers, can read them, will want to read them, and will have the opportunity to understand the privacy practices of that organization. So we've come up with four different ways that you can express a privacy policy. And what we've done is compared how people feel about these different expressions and how well they comprehend these different expressions. And to do this, we, we used a survey approach, and we based it on some of our earlier, er, earlier work, our privacy requirements taxonomy, which was started several years ago. And what we did was we analyzed over 100 privacy policies online. And after analyzing in great detail all of these policies, we categorized all of the information in the policies. And when we were done, we found out that every piece of information in the policies fell into one of these categories. And then these categories, we were able to break these up into either protection goals or vulnerabilities. So when you look at a privacy policy, there's usually a group of statements that talk about how the company protects your information. And then there's usually a group of statements that talks about how comp the company might do something that could potentially um, cause the consumer to be vulnerable to uh, something bad happening to their information. So with our particular experiment, we had three primary goals. We wanted to gauge the user's perception to the four different alternatives. We also wanted to measure the comprehension. And then we wanted to compare to see if there was a match between what people felt comfortable with and what they understood the best. So our experimental design used 
four different treatments, which we refer to as variants. And the first variant was just the original natural language policy that is commonly used today. So if you choose any given website, Amazon's website, eBay's website, any website, more than likely it's going to have just a plain natural language privacy policy. So that's what we started with. And to compare to that, what we did is we took that same policy and turned it into a list of privacy goals and vulnerabilities based on our taxonomy that we created. The third variant was a categorical representation that was based on that same privacy taxonomy. And then the fourth variant was a combination of the original commonly used natural language policy with the goals and the vulnerabilities highlighted. So I have examples um, to show you of each of those. The first variant, here's an example of an actual website, a healthcare website, that we used in our experiment. And this one's written very nicely. It starts off, dear friends, first and foremost, our company is deeply committed to preserving your privacy. Then it goes on and discusses some of the things that they do to try to protect your privacy. So this is something that you would commonly see on a website. The second variant, we took that same policy and we turned it into a list of goals and vulnerabilities based on our taxonomy. And this is what that would look like, just a list of basic goals that start off with some sort of action word. So we took off all the, um, the, what we call fluff from the privacy policy. Things like, we really care about your privacy. We strive to protect it. And we do all that we can. And we, once we get rid of that, we can narrow it down to the actual things that they do. They maintain confidentiality. They avoid collecting information unless you provide it. They guard your information. They use it for research, and so forth. The third variant is a categorical list. So what we did was we gave the different categories of the taxonomy, we provided those and gave a link, like up here. This is just three of the categories. And we gave a quick definition of each of the category. And if the consumer wants to find out more about what the company does in that particular area, they can simply click on the link. And if they were to click on, say, information collection, this is what would appear. They would see definitions if they were needed. And then there would be the actual policies that apply to that particular category. So in this case, the website used cookies to gather data. And so that would be something that fell under information collection. And the fourth variant was a combination of the natural language policy that we commonly see today, but we highlighted the important text that we converted into the goals and vulnerabilities. And when the user would run their mouse over one of these statements, the goal or, goal or vulnerability would pop up, just like it does up here. So in this case, if you ran your mouse over this particular statement, the goal, we avoid disclosing PII without consent, would pop up. So this one is the most detailed out of all of them. It provides the natural language policy, and it provides the goals and vulnerabilities. So it's very detailed with lots of information. OK, another thing that we provided in our experiment is we didn't want it to be content specific. So we provided three different websites to our users. And we chose these actual websites. And one was drugstore.com, one was healthcentral.com, and one was novartis.com. And we chose these three because they're all in the healthcare arena. And drugstore.com 
had a huge number of vulnerability statements in it, which means that the majority of the information in drugstore.com's privacy policy was about things that could lead the consumer to be vulnerable to bad things happening to their information. Novartis.com, on the other hand, was more protective. They took a lot more measures and they talked more about protecting the information and didn't have as many vulnerability statements. And then healthcentral.com was right in the middle, so that was more of our control factor. So our experimental design looked like this, and we had these um, 12 cells. So when you came to the website where we ran our experiment, you would be given a policy that fell into one of these cells. And in the end, after we got rid of all the invalid data, we ended up with 993 usable responses, and they were pretty much equally distributed through each of our cells. So now I'm going to run through some of the results that we got. And I've included um, both some averages, some percentages, and some p-values, because I know some people are very interested in p-values, some people are more interested in percentages, and some people are more interested in averages. So I'll go through these quick, and at the end, if anyone has any questions, I'll be glad to come back to these if necessary. So in terms of our demographics, um, one thing that we always do with our surveys is we don't just use a student group um, to uh, run our surveys. We always put these um, out there for the general population because we don't want to find out just what college students think. We want to find out what the people in their 30s think, the people in their 40s, people in their 50s, people in their 60s. We want to find out what all of these people think because they're all important when it comes to the online business. So what we found is that 41% of our respondents had engaged in online healthcare research at least once a month in the past year, in which that's pretty consistent because we've found in lots of other surveys that consumers in the U.S. are going online more and more for healthcare information and for healthcare products and services and advice. And there's several reasons for that, for the convenience and also for the privacy factor and for the fact that they don't want to be embarrassed by having to go somewhere. We had 31% that had made a healthcare-related purchase online. And that's pretty consistent with other surveys as well. We did have a more highly educated population in our sample in that 53% have beyond a college degree. So what that means is that when we look at our results, we need to think about this in terms of the overall results are coming from people that are a little bit more educated than the general population. So that's something that brings out an interesting point here in a few minutes. We also had a um, highly skewed uh, male population as well. I'm not sure why that happened. but Okay, so I'm going to run through some of the questions that we asked. What we did was we gave each person a policy to read. It could have been the natural language policy. It could have been the category policy. It could have been the goals and vulnerabilities policy. Or it could have been the goals and vulnerability combined with the natural language policy. Also, it could have come from Novartis. It could have come from Health Central. And it could have come from drugstore.com. Now, when we did this, we got rid of the name. So the user didn't know what the name of the website was. We just used brand X so that they wouldn't be biased in any way. So the first thing that we asked them after they read the policy, or after we asked them to read the policy, we asked them how they felt in terms of security. Did they feel secure sharing their personal information with this particular website based on what they had read in the policy? 
and we had several different variables in our model and what we found out, the things that affected what people thought were the policy variant, whether it was the natural language policy, the categorical policy, the goals and variables, or the goals and variables combined with the policy. Another thing that we found to be um, significant was the website, whether it was Health Central, Drugstore, or Novartis. Also, we found the respondent age to be significant. And what we found was that the older people felt less secure than the younger people. And also the healthcare purchase history of the respondent. Those that had purchased things online before from a healthcare place felt more secure. So this is how the averages turned out. The, in terms of the average response, this was on a Likert scale, and the higher the response means the stronger that they agreed with that particular statement. So this means that the people that saw the goals and vulnerabilities with the natural language policy, the very detailed version, the people that saw that, they felt more secure than the other people in our experiment. When we looked at the different websites that were used, we found that the people that viewed Novartis and Health Central felt more secure, which is good because drugstore.com is the more vulnerable one. So that was good that people were able to pick up on the fact that they would be more secure if they visited the other two. So that made us feel good about what consumers were, were understanding. The next statement that we had was about how they believed the company would protect their personal information. Would they protect it more than other companies? And we had this, some of the same variables that were significant. The type of policy that they viewed and the website were significant. And once again, the more detailed policy, the one that had the goals and vulnerabilities and had the policy, the people that viewed that were the ones that thought their information would be protected more. And once again, people were able to distinguish between the more vulnerable website and the more protective ones. So we were also glad about that. The next statement that we had had to do with how well the information was explained. So we asked people if they felt that that particular privacy policy um, explained the privacy practices thoroughly. And we found some of the same um, variables to be significant, the policy variant and the website. We also found that the interaction between the two was significant. So what that means is that in the case of a more vulnerable policy like drugstore.com, people would think it was explained more thoroughly if it used a different type of policy. Whereas with the more protective website, people might view it as being more thorough if it used a different style. So in terms of the averages, what we found is that people found the original natural language policy and the goals and vulnerabilities combined with the original policy, those two variants were the ones that were the most thorough. Those are also the ones that contain the most words, they're the most detailed, and they're the longest. So that could explain why people thought those were the most thorough. And if you look at the bottom here, these are the ones that people thought were most explained combinations and the least explained combinations. And what's interesting, if you look where those red stars are, our respondents thought that the categorical variant 
did the worst job in explaining the content and explaining the privacy practices. So we'll come back to that again because that brings up a very interesting point in a couple of minutes. And then in terms of the websites, they thought that the drugstore.com website was explained more thoroughly. Now the drugstore.com website was the longest. It had the most words. So maybe people associate length with thoroughness. Another thing is that we asked is about their confidence in their understanding. How well do they think they understood the privacy practices of that organization? And once again, we had the, some of the same significant variables, in particular the policy variant and the website as well. And what we found is that the goals and vulnerabilities and original policy combined, again, that one had the highest average of agreement, and that was the one that people felt most confident in their understanding of what they read. And when we look at the actual websites, people felt more confident with the Health Central website and what they read there as opposed to what they read in the drugstore.com policy. After we asked them several perception type questions, we wanted to find out what they thought and how they felt and what they thought about their understanding, their level of confidence and so forth. After we did that, we wanted to give them a little quiz and find out just how well they comprehended and how well they understood. So what we did is we had a database of some questions that pertain to each specific policy and we would choose a few of these based on what they saw, based on how they clicked through and so forth. And we wanted to test to see how well they understood what they read. So here's an example of one of the quiz questions that we asked. So this one, for example, which statement is true regarding Brand X's information collection practices? And we gave them these five choices to choose from. Now the, the policies were somewhat similar in terms of all privacy policies talk about um, cookies, they all talk about third party, they all talk about transferring information to the subsidiaries and so forth. So some of the questions were similar and we were able to ask the same question from one policy to the next, but each one would have a different answer depending on which policy the respondent read. So what we found is that the variables that affected comprehension score were the policy variant and the website. And in particular, what we found is that people by far understood the categorical policies much better than any of the others. So if you remember back where I had those red stars, the categorical websites the categorical policies, those were not the ones that people felt they had the best understanding. Those were not the ones that people felt were explained the best. Those were not the ones that people thought they could understand. But it turns out those are the ones that people understood the best. And they answered the questions and they got the higher score. So what people think is misaligned with what they actually understand. Another thing to point out here is that the score is just like any type of quiz that you might see. It's out of 100. 
So you see that the average quiz score here is very low. And remember, we had a highly educated population. So if our highly educated population averaged a 43 out of 100, then if you think about the rest of the population and the average population, then their score is probably going to be lower than that. And so that's, that's not very comforting to us that deal with privacy policies and privacy. Okay, so what those numbers represented were all 993 respondents. So we all know that not everyone reads privacy policies. We also know that when people take surveys and answer questions, they don't always tell the truth, right? Sometimes people will take a survey and they'll either try to get through it real fast so they can get to the end, so they can enter their name to win a prize, or they'll go through it really fast to get that coupon, or they'll just go through it because they were told to or they think they're supposed to, but they're really not taking it seriously. So what we did is we had a couple of things built into our survey to check for things like that, and we filtered those people out at the beginning. But then we also asked them a question about whether or not they read the particular policy in our experiment. And based on their answer to that, we took out all the people that did not read the policy, and we kept in all the people that did. And we ran this again. And what we found out here is that still we had the same results. Of the people who did read the policies, the people that read the categorical policies, once again, were the ones that comprehended and understood what they read much better than the others. So once again, user perception and user comprehension is, is not aligned. Now, in order to ask them if they read the privacy policy or not, we didn't just flat out say, did you read the privacy policy in our experiment? Because, of course, people are going to say, yes, I read it, because they think I was supposed to read it, so I'll say, yes, I did. So what we did is we asked them, why didn't you read the entire set of privacy policies of the website? We went ahead and up front assumed that they didn't. And by doing that, we gave them several different choices that we had um, learned from our pilot studies and earlier studies. We gave them several different choices to give us as to why they didn't read it. Maybe it was too long, they didn't feel like it, they didn't think it was important, it was boring. But then we did give them the choice, hey, wait a minute, I did read that policy. And so those people are the ones that we included here. And when we compared all the different variants, the people that read the entire policy most often were the people that saw the categorical variant. So what we found is the people that saw the categorical variant are the people that understood the privacy practices and they're also the people that actually read through the whole policy. The people that were faced with the other three variants, they didn't understand as well, they didn't read as well, they just they didn't feel as good about reading and, and then comprehending. But contrary to that, what we saw is that the people that read the very detailed one that had the goals and the vulnerabilities and the natural language policy, they felt like they understood it and they felt like it was good and they felt like the company was going to protect their information. So their perception is different from what they actually understand. Okay. So the next thing is demographics. People always ask about demographics. Are males different than females? Are older people different from younger people? Does education make a difference? And so forth. And what we found out was that there was no correlation 
in our sample in the demographic factors. The only correlation we found was with the older group, the group aged 57 and above. They scored lower on the comprehension questions, and they also felt less secure in certain situations. So that's the only demographic category that had an effect. Education didn't matter. Gender didn't matter. Nothing else did. It was just the age factor. So to summarize, we just talked about comprehension. And we found out that people can really comprehend the categorical way to express privacy policies. We also found out that people will read them more often if they're arranged by categories. From the perception point of view, though, we found out that people feel more secure giving their information to one of the companies that uses the natural language policy that has the goals and vulnerabilities highlighted. So that's the more detailed policy. We also found out that those same policies are the ones that lead people to think that that company is going to protect their information the most. And also, that's the one that people think is explained the best. That's also the one where people think their understanding is the best. But as we pointed out, there's a misalignment between user perception and comprehension. So there's some good things to this and there's some bad things to this. We can take away from this that we need to start looking more at categorical representation of privacy policies. Because we've, even today and while we've been here, we've heard about people mentioning things about machine readable policies and different methodologies to um, take care of protecting privacy and letting the users know about it. But right now, all websites have a privacy policy, and they have to have them for different um, legislative reasons. So if they can just go in there and rearrange them to follow one of these categorical representations, it can really help people to feel more comfortable about reading them. Because in some of our earlier work, what we found is that people might look at a policy, and then it's just too much. There's too much legalese. There's too many words. It's too long too complex, and so they don't bother to read it. They just assume that someone else is going to read it for them. But with the categorical representation, people will be more inclined to actually read it. Another thing is that companies could take from this is some of the more negative things. They could use some of the information that we found here to misguide people and trick them into feeling more secure than they really should. So. Okay, so I was asked to finish up around 5.10 in case there were any questions. Um, but first, I want to point out that um, this research was funded by one of our NSF grants. And if you have any later questions or want to know more about the work that we've done in the area of privacy, privacy policy, you can find out either on my website or on the privacyplace.org. So right now, if anyone has any questions, I'll be glad to answer them. I just went through and um, pointed out some of the highlights of our data. So if anyone has any detailed questions. I guess we're on. So the, the results have a number of, of elements to them that uh, appear a little bit contradictory. Um, what would you say if I were if I were designing a healthcare site would be the best way to present policy 
for the most number of people to be able to feel comfortable and confident and knowledgeable about how I'm going to protect or abuse their privacy. So that's a good question because I guess it comes down to which is more important um, from your company's standpoint. Do you want the users to feel comfortable or do you want them to be more inclined to actually read what you've got and understand it? So if you're an honest business, I would think that you would want your consumers to read what you have to say so they can learn about your privacy practices. And then at the same time, you would want them to understand what it is you're doing. And if that's the case, then using the simple categorical format where you just display the 12 different categories and allow users to click on those and carry them over to more detailed information, that would be the best approach. If you wanted to be a little devious and get your consumers to feel comfortable and feel secure, but not really understand what you're doing and not really read about everything you're doing than one of the others, or the way privacy policies are currently done, just the normal natural language approach would be the answer. <laughs> how did you administer the survey and how many were given in order to collect the nearly 1,000? Okay, so what we did um, with with all of our more recent surveys that we've done, they've been web-based surveys, and we pretty much we start off with a very broad marketing strategy where we post it online and we start off advertising. We send information, um, send a little news note to all of our friends, our colleagues, which would be might account for the higher educated population in this case. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case for our earlier survey. But we send it to all of our friends, our family, grandparents, you know, everyone that we know, and then ask them to send it out. And when we ask them to send it out, we ask them to tell us where they send it. So we can kind of track, I mean, we can't track all the way where it goes, but we can kind of track a couple of levels. So, I mean, it, it went from you know, us in academia to some of our neighbors, to people at church, it, people at youth groups, uh, not youth groups, but people at um, parent, parent, what are they called, mommy, parent groups, things like that. <laughs> and we had um, a wide variety of people involved. Another thing that we did is we had it posted on various news sites. It was posted on the um, NC State's homepage um, one week. So when people, anyone came to NC State's webpage, they saw our little news up there to uh, click on that link. It was posted at other news sites as well. Um, and it's, I, our previous survey, we had a little blurb in the um, Raleigh NNO, in the News and Observer. So we just kind of get the word out and we try to track it as far as we can to see, make sure we're getting a diverse group. And given that we have so many people respond to it, um, we, it, it it's, um, from a statistical standpoint, we, we do get a diverse group. All right, so I'll ask another one because uh, the audience has fallen asleep. Uh, or, or maybe they, they really are concerned about their privacy being exposed by asking the question. Um, I'm not completely surprised that there was such a disparity between the number of male respondents and female respondents, uh, judging the population of web users and those who are sort of uh, willing to click on unknown links and uh, enter information. <laughs> Do you think that actually has uh, perhaps some underlying effect on the uh, effectiveness and nature of privacy policies? 
because there is there does appear to be some gender based difference in willingness to provide that information or or is that just an incidental artifact i'm not sure exactly but i would venture to say it might just be an incidental artifact because as we've collected our data from survey to survey we always run through the demographics to see if there is any effect there and so far we've never found any effect so there's never been a significant difference between what males as a whole say to from what females as a whole say right Thank you. As you noted before, consumers on the whole have failing grades when it comes to responding properly to the policies and the, the, the agreements used online. I wanted to ask you briefly just what you make of, of the prototype that you showed us as it opposes the type of agreements that we encounter. I know Personally, I would love to see an agreement that stated everything that you projected up on the screen. That is, we will respect your policy, we will not disclose to any third party without your consent, and so on and so forth. More often, we find a policy that says we will not disclose your personal information, except in those cases yeah. where we determine that it's in our best interest to disclose your personal information. <laughs> now, <laughs> when it comes time to make the agreement there, we're left with the choice of either agreeing to your responsible conduct or going elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we don't always have that opportunity. So as you look back on that, do you think that some of these failing grades that we're receiving are better described in terms of a sense of helplessness than a sense of ignorance? So that, that's, a, uh, that's a good point. Um, That's a good point. Um, so I'm not really sure what to say in with respect to um, to our particular survey with regard to that. But I could have misunderstood. I could have misunderstood. Next survey. <laughs> good answer. question that might go as well towards a uh, next survey, but given that a number of people have been trained to pay attention to whether a site is secure by looking for an icon of a padlock or, or something, um, has there been any thought of trying to extend a survey taking the taxonomy that you've developed and being able to rate that so a user could register what their comfort level is across those 12 elements of your taxonomy, and if they browse a web page that that would show an icon that either says, the, the website that they're browsing adheres to or, or better bests their personal preferences or would call attention to something and they might be more inclined to act or read whereas though the singular elements of the policy perhaps not meeting their personal expectations if they could register that. Would there have been uh, thought of trying to take that taxonomy and develop a survey to see if users would pay more attention if there was something that, that showed that difference between what they register and what the site is 
proposing, which would require it to be in a more of a computable form? Right, that's a very good question, and it is something that we have talked about. And um, I mentioned that some of these surveys and the taxonomy were things that we have done over the over a period of several years. And so we have a large group of people at NC State um, that have been working in these um, privacy areas. And it includes um, me in the College of Management, as well as Annie Anton in um, computer science, and some other people as well. And we have um, done some work that sort of goes in that direction, but that's more on the, uh, the, the computing side of things. But that is definitely something that we have talked about and that we have started working on. The, um, the, when we created our taxonomy, we, we created it with um, several um, intentions in mind. And um, if on, the, on the particular slide that had the taxonomy, there were a couple of publications listed there because we found that it has been useful for things in requirements engineering, it's been useful for things in management, and we're looking toward things more in the area of machine-readable policies and things like that as well.